The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our return guest today is the Reverend Bill McDonald, uh, who is a near-death experiencer, author, award-winning poet, international speaker, artist, film advisor, and a Vietnam War veteran. Um, he's been gifted with uh, precognition, and his unique perspective as a Reverend Bridges' religion and spirituality. His most recent book is Alchemy of the Warrior's Heart. Bill, welcome back to NDE Radio. Well, it's always good to come back. It means you've lived another day to fight. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, Bill, we, we were, we left off just before, um, an operation that you were going to have in Denver. You'd come back from India. Um, um, you, you nearly died there and a cobra saved your life. Oh, before we get into Denver though, tell us about your encounter with the, the woman with the basket of cobras. Okay. I, I, I was in India in 2004 and been traveling for two, almost three months. And we went to this desert town. Some, some guy said, you got to go to this desert place. You know, it's a sacred thing. Anyway, we go to this desert place. We hike a mountaintop and there's a guru up there that blesses us and all that. And, and I come down the hill and, and this sadhu guy, this guy about 30, 40 years old comes up and grabs my feet and tries to touch it and tells me I'm his guru and everything. I, 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 I shy the guy off, but he wouldn't leave me alone. So I, I taught him a meditation technique. I think I taught him a homsa or something, something simple he could do. So, and I left and I'm coming down this hill with my friend and there's this lady and she's got a basket full of cobras, right? Just everybody has a basket full of cobras hanging around, right? <laughs> so, and, and, and except she's, she's got a, a little piece of bamboo, a little stick. And she's banging the basket to make these snakes angry so they come out of the basket, you know, with their heads and everything, trying to get some people that are going to the temple there to, to come by and, you know, want to pay money to see them and hold them and everything. And, and I saw her doing that, and I got really angry. I'm going, what are you doing? You can't do this. And I, I, I walk right, run right up on her, and I'm standing over the basket, and these snakes, there's about seven of these snakes, and... Their, their little heads are coming up between my legs and back of me and everything. I'm standing right over this basket, right, like a crazy fool, right? And I'm yelling at her and swinging my hands and making fast movements, <clears throat> all the things you shouldn't be doing, right, with the snake. <clears throat> and, uh, and then all of a sudden I reach down and I, and I just grab one in the middle of its body and it's twisted around and everything. It's a cobra, cobra, right? And this cobra, because some some of these people in India they will take the fangs out or they'll you know this one has this one had full fangs and it was the the real deal and uh it was when I held it up above my head uh the tail was touching the ground so I'm five foot six so another foot or two onto that so it was a big snake and and I'm holding it and I'm I'm yelling at her and I got it in my hand and my hand is moving being a Half Italian, my mother's full blood Italian, right? So you know when I'm talking, my hands are moving, right? And I'm <laughs> I'm moving with this snake in my hand, right? And it's and it's its head is like about a foot outside the fist, right? My hand is here and then about a foot up there to the head. So the head is floating around, it's flashing back and forth. And the next thing you know, 
uh, while I'm talking to her, the tail of the snake starts and its body starts wrapping around my neck. And, and then I'm looking at this snake and all of a sudden I feel my eyelash go flicker, flicker, flicker and a butterfly kiss. And I, and I stare at it and it's the tongue. So he shows you how close the snake is to my eyeball, right? And, and I'm looking at these fangs and the tongue is kissing my eyelashes up and down, right? Mm. And me and the snake are, are looking at each other. And then I get, I get drawn into the open mouth. I'm looking at, cause the mouth is open the whole time, like it's going to strike me. And I look in there and I see the darkness in there. And it's like I'm drawn magically into the inside of the snake. It's like I'm no longer looking at the outer snake. I am actually being drawn into this snake. It's, it's like, it's mesmerizing. There's no way, I don't know how long I was staring at the snake when my friend freaked out and he went, he ran away because he thought I was going to get bit in the eyeball. And I just felt such love and such peace. Me and this cobra were becoming one. It was, it was a phenomenal experience. And, and then next thing you know, another cobra climbs up. Then I had another cobra wrap around my stomach. So there I am standing over this basket. And I got one under my t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> and I got one wrapped around my neck tightly, but not choking me, but tightly with its head right up onto my eyeball within an inch of my eye. Hmm. And probably, and this is going to sound, your, your listeners are going to say, where'd you get this crazy guy? <laughs> you know, where, where's this crazy guy? Because, you know, the guy that was with me, he thought I was the craziest guy I'd ever. Nobody ever does that. The snake's right there in your eyeball. He could have, I said, he could have bit it. I said, yeah, but he didn't, right? Hmm. But he didn't. So I've had this fascination with cobras. It wasn't until Six years, 2004, yeah, about six years later, five or six years later when I went back to India again, and I I, I was at an ashram with the yoga raj, uh, and, and I came to visit him on his invitation, and he says, I got the perfect room for you to come to this room at this ashram, and there was, I don't know, 30 rooms there or something, but he had one room, and he says, I want this one for you. So I go in there and it's the only room because I walked around and checked. It was the only room that had any, any wall hangings and it had a picture of Lord Shiva with a cobra snake wrapped around his neck with the head up, right? And wow. Cobra's on his feet. And he goes, this is for you. Wow. Kind of, kind of <laughs> points to the wall and I'm looking at it thinking, oh. And then he just kind of mumbles something about, he says, it's all about the Kundalini energy. And he left, right? And I'm going, no big showboat there, but it was like a subtle message, right? So that was me and the Cobra. Interesting. That's, that's great. Okay. Let me take you back to Denver now, uh, because that, uh, NDE involves, uh, a spiritual trip to India, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, here, here's the deal. Let me kind of give you the background on that. Okay. First off, that wasn't the experience that we left off last week because that was another whole thing with getting five stents, heart stents. Uh-huh. Uh, this this was 2011, so it was uh, seven years later. Oh, okay. several heart attacks later. <clears throat> you know, I'm a busy guy. So, but I'm in India, and I'm, I'm I'm talking to crowds, introducing this guru, and talking to crowds of I don't know three, four, five, six thousand people. You know, the Indian crowds. You got a little talk over there, you get big crowds, right? 
but and I'd speak for a half hour and introduce the guru and tell stories. And one of these events, I, I, I had a heart attack and, uh, and I, I took to the ER and anyway, they told me you got to go home. So before I go home, I'm at the ashram the last day, cause this is interesting. I don't think you even know this. The last day at the ashram, I'm sitting in the, the kitchen and there's four people besides me. And I feel somebody looking at me, you know, like when you're in a movie theater and somebody's looking at you. You know, it's like, you know, somebody's looking at you, right? Science doesn't prove it, but you know it. And so I turn around and there is the late, uh, guru of Paramahansa Yogananda, his guru, hmm. uh, Teshwar. And Shiva Teshwar is standing right there behind me with his arms folded behind his back, looking at me very lovingly. And I'm going, wow, man, I must be really close to death. Maybe I'm there now, right? You know, uh, so. I asked the other people in the room, I said, anybody see anything or feel anything? And, and so there was this young, young lady and this other lady, they, uh, they were from Scandinavian countries. They were pretty much into yoga, the, you know, the exercise and stuff and just meditation wasn't their big thing, but they're very limited. And they go, nah, man, you're crazy. There's nothing here. You know, and then there was a guy from Texas and, uh, he goes, he says, Bill, he says, uh, I'm not exactly sure what I see, but there's blaze of light, a ball of light behind you. And I'm feeling such great love. He says, I feel loved. And I said, okay. And then there was another guy, a Jewish guy that was there and had been meditating years and years and years. Uh, Brian Yoso, Yosevich. And, uh, he goes, Bill, he says, you're not going to believe this. I said, no, tell me. And then he described to me exactly what I was seeing. See Rateshwar standing there with his arms folded, you know, looking at me. And so that was interesting because it gave me a witness to what was happening, but it also showed me that you could be having an angel or a visitation from a, from ascended master or seeing Jesus or whatever, like these children do. And people around them don't see anything. And go, oh, there's nothing here. Right. Mm. It's, it's the individual receptivity. Now you have people at different levels of meditation and different levels of experience and different levels of belief. So I was given a, a confirmation by the two people that saw the light and the energy and the other one saw the actual image. So that verified it for me. Otherwise I'd never tell the story because you tell a story that there's no way to verify it. It's just a story, right? But this is like, no, I got two people that could tell the story and exactly what I'm telling you. So it also told me that it's like when Christopher Columbus sailed into the New World. He had three ships sitting in the harbor there, and the Native Americans, although they didn't know they were Native Americans at the time, <laughs> they were citizens <laughs> of that country, and they didn't see the ships when the ships came in because they, they'd never seen them before, so they didn't believe it. Their mind just erased it. Same thing happened in the Cook Islands, which is now, or, or uh, uh, when, uh, uh, what was it, Captain Cook came in? It was the Sandwich Islands. And the Hawaiians, they couldn't see his ship because they never seen that before. So I'm thinking that when children tell you, most especially when children tell you they've seen an angel or they've seen Virgin Mary or they've seen Jesus or whatever, I think they have. I think it's more likely than not, they're not lying. They're actually seeing something, but adults have conditioned their thought process that seeing is not believing. Yes. And therefore, uh, I I've been at events before where I'm seeing great angels and beings surrounding the audience 
and the audience just feels love and great. And they think it's me making them feel that way. And it's not, I'm, I'm say, you know, it's not me you're getting all this love from. I'm going, uh, you know, it's above you. It's around you. And, but you know, it's uh once in a while, somebody will, will come to me and say, you know, it was, and I go, yeah, but anyway, to get back to this third, third NDE, I was in India in 2011. I had this heart attack and I was going home. So I'm sent home. I get on an airplane. I fly from India to Germany, six hour uh, standby, get on an airplane, go to uh, <clears throat> Denver to go through customs. And uh, as I'm standing in line going through customs, I'm having a heart attack again. And so I kind of collapse in and the paramedics come and I'm six hours with the paramedics. Now, here's what's crazy. Six hours with the paramedics. And then I'm saying, you know, <clears throat> I'd like to fly home to Sacramento where I got a, I got a surgical team and a doctor waiting for me. And they go, okay. And I'm going, they're going to let me get on an airplane, right? I mean, yeah. think about that, right? Still two hours, three hours to get to Sacramento. And I'm going, okay. And of course, doing that, of course, I ended up later on having a, uh, a blood clot and a lung, you know, but suffice to say the story goes on. So I finally get to Sacramento. I see my doctor. The first thing the doctor does, he, Boom, puts me in a wheelchair. Boom, takes me in the ER. Next thing you know, I'm in uh, ICU for four days prior to anything they could do because I'm so weak. And uh, and so I'm going to get open heart surgery, quadruple bypass. And uh, and so I asked the doctor, what exactly are you going to do? He says, well, we're going to put you under anesthesia, and uh, and then we're going to cut your rib cage open and we're going to spread them open. And then we're going to – eventually we're going to cut the artery – but to cut the artery, we have to stop the heart, and we have to stop your lungs. We're putting you on a heart lung machine, so you're not breathing, and you're not, and your not, heart's not beating. So he says, he just kiddly says, "Well, you're kind of dead. We keep you alive." Well, you know, <laughs> that was true. And then he says, and I asked him, "Well, we're we going to feel anything?" He says, "Well, when we we do this operation, uh, some people, about five percent of the people, because we have to cut down the amount of anesthesia." When you're on the machine, we just can't give you too much. Some people actually feel something, you know. That was one of those five, of course. So I get in there and I count backwards from 100. I think I get down to 94 or something. I, I don't remember nothing. And I go into this, boom, I'm out. And then all of a sudden, I'm transported. And I mean transported. I'm in India, in southern India, at this famous temple there. And I know the temple because... The year before, I was given a, a naughty palm reading, which we could talk about at another time. A naughty palm reading. Basically, it's a reading of your life that was written down 5,000, 2,500 years. Nobody knows. Sometimes it's been 2,500 and 5,000 years before by one of the great rishis. They, they channeled these people coming in the future and they wrote down all these life stuff about them. So when mm -hmm. in, in, in the, in the 1700s and the 1800s and in 2000, whatever it is, and 2100 some these people would come in and find their leaf and somebody would read it to them and they'd know what to do. It was all about their destiny, all about their dharma and their purpose in life. And so uh, I was told to go get that done. And I got that done. And in, in that reading, they told me that in three or four years, whatever it was, a couple of years hence, that I would uh, go to this temple. And, get, and when I got there, I would walk uphill two to four hours, and I'd find these great rishis there waiting for me, and all this stuff would happen, right? So I thought, 
when they made that prediction, that was all going to happen on the physical level. Hmm. So now let's go back to the operating table. I, I digress, right? I'm on, <laughs> on the operating table, but I'm not. My body is on the operating table, and I, because I'm a modest uh, 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 traveler, I, I'm fully clothed when I'm when I'm having this experience in India. It's like <laughs> I had a naked body on the operating table, but for some reason I'm I'm clothed when I'm I'm going what anyway I'm clothed. I'm walking around India at this temple, and people are bumping into me. I feel them. I feel the sunshine. I feel the ground with my feet. <laughs> no, this I'm actually in a body. I'm in a body. It's not astro travel. It's body. It's like a second body. Yes. And so I start. I go wow. This is that temple. This is what I was told. So I'm walking uphill. So I walk uphill and I finally get to the top of this hill and uh, in this grassy knoll area, there's some rocks and logs and a little fire. There's the great rishis or some people call them ascended masters or whatever, but they're there. And with them is this guru, Gurunath. And it's like they gesture to sit down on this rock and I sit down and it's like, I know these guys, right? It's like, I know these guys. They don't have to, I don't have to ask any questions. I, I know what I know. <clears throat> and so it was like, it wasn't a lot of conversation. And, uh, and, and then my guru's standing there and he, and he, uh, he's looking at me. And next thing you know, <clears throat> that same cloud that I had as a child, it comes back. <clears throat> Excuse me for coughing. The same cloud comes back. And on that cloud is faces, faces of, Thousands and thousands of people that were coming to me in the future. And I didn't know exactly what was going on there. But I hear this voice, this beautiful energy and light, feminine voice say, Bill, you've done enough. You know, just, just give, just give it up, give up your heart. You know, just, I'm, I'm waiting to give you love. I'm giving, giving you bliss, giving you peace, no more suffering. You've, you've done your job. It's time to go. And then, and then my guru's standing there with his arms folded. He looks at me and he goes, Bill, you can skip a few beats, but don't give up heart. <laughs> I go, why? And he says, cause I've got, I've got more pain and suffering for you. I go, what? I go, she's telling me I got peace, no pain, bliss. And you're telling me you got pain and suffering. He goes, yes. And he says, and you're going to feel all the pain and suffering. Because before, every time you had pain and suffering, you were blissed out. You never felt it. You could get your teeth drilled. Nothing would ever happen. No Novocaine. But now you're going to feel every ache and pain so you could teach people how to handle pain. And I'm going, that's not a very good sales job. And then he, <laughs> and then he points up to that cloud. Remember the cloud with all those faces? And he, and he just does that. And he says, if you, if you choose to leave, these people's dharma won't be fully complete. They will miss that connection with you. Whether it's just listening to you talk, reading one of your books, smiling at them, lecturing them, hugging them, or just being in their life as a friend. These people are waiting for you. And if you leave, and, and just, you know, just voluntarily, you know, you can leave, but these people will miss something. <clears throat> so, uh, and I'm looking at that and I go, wow, okay. And, but next thing you know, all of a sudden, they're they're getting my heart going back on the table, right? They they got a de little small defibrillator, deek, you know, and my heart jumps, and all of a sudden I'm feeling this, and then boom, I'm jumping, and boom, I'm on I'm on my 
I'm naked on a metal table, ice cold metal mm. table with mm. hands inside my body and stitches and things going on. And I'm feeling everything, right? I'm feeling the guy said, the guru said, you're going to feel pain. Well, I was feeling pain at that time. It's like all the, uh, all the anesthesia is wearing off and I still got another, I don't know, another hour to go to close up and sew and stitch and pull the rib cage together. And, uh, and then after the surgery, Normally in America, four days in the hospital for heart surgery, open heart surgery, you're out. I mean, this is modern times. You, you have a heart surgery, they send you home, right? I mean, that's real. But I was already in the hospital. This was the fifth day and I had the surgery. Now it's another 10 days in that hospital because I wasn't getting any better. And I had five blood transfusions and, and I was just, I, I, there was no will to go on. It was just, the body was just not going. And every time I closed my eyes, and drifted off into a sleep or a nap or whatever. I had that same exact experience over again. I was back in India. I was on the hill with these rishis. I was having that conversation. I was seeing the thing. My guru was saying, don't give up heart. You can skip a few beats, but don't give up heart. That battle was going on. And a part of me says, nah, I'm ready to go. I mean, this is just too much. I'm ready to go. I mean, I've, I've done enough. I'm ready to go. And then they were getting ready to wheel me downstairs uh, at 10 o'clock at night for an emergency procedure. And uh, and the phone rings by my hospital bed and they, they're getting me on a gurney. And I said, I got I got to answer that. I was really weak. I got to answer. They go, no, 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 no. We got to do this procedure. I said, no, I got to answer that. So I insisted. So I answered the phone and this Indian voice goes, yeah. This is Gurnoff from India. And I'm going, well, how many Gurnoffs, Gurnoffs do I know, right? And he says, and so then what's the next thing out of his mouth? He says, you can skip a beat, but don't give up heart. And I go, oh, geez, he's been saying that to me every day for 10 days, right? It's like, wow, <laughs> same exact words, right? So then he goes, he says, I got, I got over 100 people here at the ashram. And I told him I was going to heal you. I'm going to have him go up the temple and meditate for you. You know, don't embarrass me. And so I go, and so I'm thinking, and I tell my wife, I go, you know, I'm going to be out of the hospital in 36 hours. I said, I can't die on my guru. I'll embarrass him. Nothing worse than embarrassing your guru. If he tells you you're going to heal you, you got to be healed. That's your job now, man. I mean, it's like, come on, you can't die on him. I mean, that's not a good deal, right? Not good karma. Hmm. And so there was something else odd that happened. I don't know if we have time to talk about it, but yes. It, my last full day in the hospital, I'm laying in my bed, and there's like this dome of light energy that's over the bed. It was like somebody took a crystal bowl and put it over the bed, right? But it was energy. And at the bottom of my bed is Babaji, the great avatar, this being that's in autobiography of the yogi. And he's standing there bare-chested. But he's got Levi's on. Come on. It's my world. He's got Levi's on. He's very, <laughs> and he's got the long black hair. And so he's uh, pouring oil and water on my head and he's touching my forehead on the spiritual eye and he's chanting something in some wild language. And I'm thinking, wow, either if you're going to be delusional, this is a great delusion, right? This is a good experience. And I'm feeling great and I'm enjoying it. And, you know, okay. So <clears throat> I leave the next day. I go home and I don't tell anybody. So then my daughter visits me and she says, Oh, our neighbor David visited you at the hospital. And I said, no, he didn't. He says, oh, yeah, he was there. And she told me what day, which was the same day this thing happened, right? And I said, 
I didn't see him. He says, well, he came into your room and, and he said you had some crazy young Indian guy with long black hair with Levi's on and no shirt on pouring stuff on your head and chanting some crazy language. And he thought it was funny, but he didn't want to embarrass you. So he left. Wow. And, and I'm going, Oh, so then I told my daughter the story and she goes, Oh my gosh. Right. So in the interesting part of that was remember that naughty reading I was talking about. Yes. In the naughty reading, it said, that Lord Shiva, in one of his forms, being Babaji, one of his forms, would one day visit you and you would feel rain and water and stuff would be blessing your forehead, your spiritual eye. Anyway, in other words, just I'd be blessed from out of the sky. And I thought that had to happen in real, right? But this happened at my bedside there. So there was a lot of other things happened while I was laying in that bed, including I, there was a six-minute Time warp. Or in other words, I was seeing six minutes into the future. Like I'd see some nurse walk by or come in or something in, in my vision. And then six minutes later, that exactly the same thing would happen. And it happened all day long like that. It was six minutes ahead the whole day. I mean, it'd been great if I'd been at the racetrack, right? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's been a series of experiences like that. And next time we talk, we'll have to we'll have to talk about my rainbow body experience if if we get another opportunity. But um, my whole life has been filled with events, spiritual transforming experiences, near death experiences, rainbow body experiences. But what I found was, I found my dharma just recently. Really, I've been kind of being a minister, doing my thing, helping vets and stuff. But I really got into this a few years ago, and I. I realized that I'm not going to be around forever and I only got two hands and I only could talk to so many people. And I realized that if I form a, a uh, association uh, 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 of chaplains, ministers, reverends, rabbis, whatever, priests, and gave them a, a format that's very open to work with and, and uh, 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 what, what I want to say, and the opportunity to work for a, for a cause, and my cause was the veteran community, the homeless community, those in the hospital, hospice, and, and, and the basics like that, but mostly veteran community. And so I, I formed a non, not non-denominational, I'm talking about no particular religion, all faith organization called uh, Spiritual Warrior Ministries, of which you know uh, one of the ministers, uh, Lilia, was one yes. of my ministers, and she She's out there doing her thing, and I only got three rules. There's no dogma. You don't force religion on anybody. Whatever their spiritual beliefs are, whatever the religion are, honor that. Meet them there. Use language and, and examples and words that you know supports their religious beliefs. Don't try to change them. If they ask you about yours, you can share that, but you don't force them. Don't ask for money. You know we're not going out there, and don't become an evangelist. You know out there trying to share. But the, the thing is, no dogma. It's all religion. So I got two Catholic priests. I got a Methodist minister, Lutheran minister. I got a bunch of self, uh, self-appointed chaplains that I've made. Dear chaplain, go, go forth and do your thing. And, uh, I, and I got a, a Jewish person. I got, uh, uh, a couple of Hindus and uh, a Buddhist. Uh, so it's open. It's only people that it, 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 people that don't want to be a part of it, like I got some, I got some groups that self-select not to be there. I don't have any Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses because that's 
that's not something they're into. They got their strong beliefs and they've self-selected, you know, I invite them if they want to be there. I have no problem. But, uh, so that's what I've been doing. So that's my big thing. This, this uh, thing now. So I'm, I'm out there and I got these new dog tags I give people that are the ministers. This is their spiritual warrior minister, basically. And, uh, it's all about love. And that's, yes. that's it. It's all about love. And so my motto basically is to love and serve. And that's, I found is, is my dharma. Beautiful. Well, we will have you back again. Uh, this time I think we'll talk about some of your Vietnam experience and, um, and your work with uh, chaplains. Being a chaplain myself, a hospital chaplain, I'll, I'm looking forward to that. So we'll, we'll find a time to, uh, to uh, have you back on the program. Namaste. Look forward to it. Okay. And tell the folks again how they can get to your website. www. That seems like that everybody has that, right? www.revrevillmcdonald. In other words, revbillmcdonald.com. Dot com. Right. And you have two books. Uh, you have, actually have more, but the two uh, copies I have are Warrior, A Spiritual Odyssey, and the most recent Alchemy of a Warrior's Heart. And um, what, what do you say? Can you say a few words about alchemy? Alchemy is a 10-year spiritual journey after my autobiography was written, which is the Warrior book. It goes from 2004 a first trip to India, all the way up, and, and it comes, includes two near-death experiences. But it has a lot of Indian stories, a lot of marvelous, fantastic, supernatural, uh, no way to put it, mystical things happen. Uh, so if people like the autobiography of Yogi, and this is, I even hate to use it in the same breath because there ain't no book that compares, but if you like the style that where, where Yogananda tells spiritual stories about people he meets, uh, mine is like little little stories of the whole thing of things that have happened to me and, and and how they've influenced my life. And so, uh, it's on Amazon, uh, go explore it. And, uh, you can watch my YouTube video channel, which has a lot of those stories as well, which you can watch for free. Excellent. Well, thank you, Bill. Thanks uh, so much to our guest, Reverend Bill McDonald for sharing his story, um, again today, and we will continue at a, at another time. Um, for the folks out there, if you want to listen to the show again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org and join us again every Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.